Hi there. Thanks for joining me for episode 13 of Gravity, the digital marketing agency podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by small digital marketing agency owners and solo practitioners just like you. Whether you run your own business or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, you're in the right place. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to Pete Everett from a small agency called So. Pete does a lot of things differently in his business, and this really paid off for him. So welcome to episode 13, and let's meet Pete. So Pete Everett, uh, thank you very much for coming to the podcast. Um, your agency is called So. I'm not sure if I've got that right. You maybe want to introduce your your business, who you are, where you are, and what you do. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, my name is Pete Everett, and uh, I run a digital agency called So. We can go into why it's called that in, in a minute if you want to. Um, I also run a podcast of my own, which Bob has been a guest on. You're at the time of recording, anyway. You're you've we've recorded your episode, but it hasn't yet gone live. Yeah, um, yours is my favorite podcast. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> You have to say that, don't you? I'm not happy to do anything. <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. No, it's very kind of you to say. Um, the uh, So, yes, yeah, so I run the Marketing Development Podcast, and alongside that, the Marketing Development Facebook group. We have a, a community of podcast listeners as well. Um, so that, in a nutshell, is what I do. And I normally class myself as a northerner in England, um, but speaking to you, I'm very much a southerner. I, I live in Sheffield in South Yorkshire. So, um, so that, that's what I do and where I come from. And your agency, so we maybe start with that a little bit. Absolutely. You said you were going to tell the story about why it's called So. So why don't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I co-own the agency with uh, my business partner, Steve. His name is Steve Osborne, and I met Steve right back in the very first agency that I ever worked in as a spotty web developer building landing pages for companies that needed them. And he was he was the creative guy in the agency. And um, uh, as time went on, we we both left that agency. We did we did our own thing. Steve got married and moved to, to um, Margate in Kent, which is the if you don't know England, that is the the sort of boot that sticks out by London. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that. It's <laughs> it, it's the the back end of nowhere. That's where it is. Um, as I know, every time I have to drive down there. Um, but yeah, he he moved down there and. Um, he set himself up as a branding consultant. So his name was Steve Osborne. So he set up a, a branding consultancy company called So. Um, when I was thinking about leaving my employment and moving into um, moving into self-employment, I had some ideas for some white label services. And that, that was the business plan that I had. And I knew Steve was coming, uh, coming back to see his mum and whatever. So I, I arranged to have a beer with him. And I pitched my new business idea to him for two reasons. Firstly, he was he's known me for long enough that he would have told me if it was a rubbish idea. And I think that's a, a really good a really good thing to do if you start thinking of starting a business is not to dream something up in your own head that you think is a great idea, but actually run it past a couple of people first. Um, and then the second thing was I thought he could be my first client. Now, when I left the agency, uh, or in leaving the agency, I had, part of my contract was I couldn't approach clients um, that I'd worked with or that I'd been in touch with through, uh, you know, under their umbrella. So I um, had very few clients I could bring to the table. Anyway, Steve 
that, that was kind of the idea behind the white label for agencies. Because as an agency, we didn't really work with any other agencies, if you see what I mean. Um, Steve umdenard in all the right places and then said that he thought it was a great idea. But then he told me where he was and he'd moved, he'd got married, he'd moved to Margate, all the stuff I knew about and set himself up as a branding consultancy. But he'd started losing work because he didn't have any digital offering. So rather than do the white label service for multiple agencies, we we put a digital agency together. So we we own it 50-50 and he is he looks after the branding and design and that side of things. And I oversee the the technical side of stuff and the digital delivery. And and we, we kind of both contribute to sales depending on which services um is most relevant to the, the client and off we go. That that's where it came from. So that makes perfect sense. Um, the one thing that stands out for me there is you mentioned 50-50. And from my experience and people I've seen and businesses I've observed, that 50-50 can actually very rarely work. Uh, so you've done quite well there to, to keep that going. Um, is I mean, How do you find decision-making and things like that when you're 50-50 like that? Um, that's a very good question. Um you're not the first person to have told us that 50-50 was a bad idea. I wasn't saying that. I'm just saying, <laughs> in my experience, having observed it, it can be challenging. Yeah, yeah. I, I had quite a lengthy conversation. Um, I mean, this was well after the company was established and set up, so there's nothing we could do about it. But I had quite a lengthy conversation with a business consultant, um, probably about ooh, a year or 18 months ago, um, where he was he was trying to explain to me the benefits of 59, uh, 49 51 versus 5050. Um and I, I did see his point. I the 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 the, the general consensus look, both Steve and I have run businesses in the past um and for whatever reason they, they they don't work you know they're not operating anymore. Um we've both been in agencies a long time. Steve longer than me. He is he is a, a little older than I am. Um but actually we we noticed that we were both at a part a stage in life where we both had things to contribute, but actually if we were going to build something that was profitable and that was going to, going to um, sort of exceed what we could potentially achieve on our own. Uh, and we were going to do that quite, quite quickly in terms of, you know, it, we, we didn't have to do it tomorrow or anything, but sort of we, we needed it to be able to run a profit within the first year um, that we were stronger together than we were apart. So, and it did help that we'd worked together previously. I mean, we, you know, we'd worked together for about four years or so previously. So we, we did have an, an understanding of how we both operated. And um, so how that translates into the, into the decision-making process, actually, we kind of, um, when it comes to an operational side of things in terms of um, something that doesn't necessarily sit on my side of the fence or Steve's side of the fence, then we do... Um, uh, we we basically have a, a grown up discussion about it. Um, we agree to leave our emotion at the door, and we we do what's best for the business. If there's a decision that's slightly more developmental, stroke digital delivery side of things, th- that sits with me, and I take I take ownership of that. And if it's something that sits more artwork, studio, creative side, then Steve takes takes um, responsibility for that side of things. And as yet, we've been going. Um, well, we're into we're, we're well into our third year. Um, you know, we've we've not come across anything that we couldn't amicably um, agree with. the f- The final caveat that we have put in place, however, although we've never had to call on it, 
is we do have um, a business consultant that we meet with a number of times a year. And actually, we the three of us then have an agreement that if we do come to an impasse, we have a third party that we can turn to, and he has a voting right as well. So we have we have put a caveat in there. Yeah, having that arbitration probably makes a big difference. I think as well, what I would probably guess is you're both good at what you do, and that leads to that, a relatively successful business because often where their challenges come in is when it's money problems. Yes. Um, and if you can avoid those, everything else is operations. And if you've got clear areas of responsibility, as it sounds like you do, then you shouldn't have a problem. You know, we the, the, there's, there's a, few, a few measures and a few agreements we made when we set the company up that um, – we've put in place to safeguard and to take some of those money pressures off us. So for example, we always try to run with um, a, a six month um, cushion in the bank. So if we have a bad month, it's not a problem. If we have a bad quarter, it's not really a problem. Um, we all like going on holiday. So if we want to go on holiday, you know, we're not scrimping and saving to get those last few invoices out to make the bills this month, that kind of that kind of mentality. Now that did take us a year or so to, to build up that kind of that kind of run, and we had to do a lot of saving to begin with, and we were very careful with what we spent money on. We didn't take licenses out for things that we we knew we weren't going to need, for example. Um, but we we managed to achieve that cushion, and that that just takes, as you say, that takes the pressure off. So we fully understood that one of the easiest places that disagreement can come in is around the finances. So we've put, we've tried to put buffers in place where we can do. That is outstanding. I think six months cash flow in the bank, you don't know how unusual that is. And I think that's really almost certainly the key to that relationship working because, um, yeah, it's very, very rare, I think. And that's really going to take me to, a point I didn't want to come to just yet, which is pricing, because the only way that you can have done that is through good pricing. Uh, a lot of agencies are hand to mouth because they simply don't charge enough. Mm. Uh, I'm going to come to pricing later. I'm not going to jump into that just now because what I'd maybe like you to do is just paint the picture of what does the age, what, what do you do as an agency? What's your, um, what sort of, where do you sit in the market? So, we have, this, this is where the company name So comes in quite nicely. See, so I can go, So. <laughs> it works quite well in pictures as well. Um, anyway, and, and the logo, if you actually go and see it, the, uh, the URL is so-theagency.com, which I absolutely detest, but it was already in place when we put this thing together. So I, I didn't really get a lot of say over that. Um, but yeah, the, the logo is uh, So, S-O with um, three ellipses after it on ellipsis, three dots. So it, even in presentations, it works quite well. The um, uh, sorry, I've completely forgotten the question. <laughs> the question was, as an agency, where do you sit in the market? That's it. Where do we sit in the market? So, what we do is, um, we we work with businesses to help them i to help them achieve their goals, uh, and we we use the internet in order to do that. So that we we come in. Um, and we work with businesses on anything from their internal processes right through to delivering a new platform, whatever that may mean, whether it's e-commerce or um, or lead generation or whatever it might be, um, online for for their customers. That um, 
we cover everything from business, uh, you know, brand strategy, um, business proposition, uh, business internal business process, uh, customer value, retained custom, um, new business for the client, and, and what we what we actually do if if, if customers come to us and, and literally take on the whole shebang, um, we actually spend quite a lot of time, like more than a week if we can do, with that customer, um, forecasting where they want their business to go and then justifying that against what their how their business operates. So to give you an example, we, um, we worked with a company called Honeybee Adventures. Now, Honeybee Adventures, they build large-scale play equipment for, for nurseries and for county councils and that kind of thing. And it's all based around this modular system. So you, if you buy the whole hive, as it's, everything's got a bee-type connotation to it. So the, the, the construction of it is it's made in these honeycomb sections. Um, and if you buy the whole hive, then there's like, I think there's eight or nine different sort of kits that you can put together. But you, you can just buy any mix of those eight or nine, and they all slot together because they're all built in the same, you know, in the same sort of configuration. We started working with Honeybee. This this guy had put like a hundred thousand pounds into getting these molds made in China or somewhere. He'd had them shipped to a place in the UK, so um, they were making these things to order in the UK based on these molds. And he came in and he said, "Look, we're doing um, we're, we're doing two sales a month. Uh, this stuff is relatively expensive, so we're doing two sales a month. We're making a good margin on it, but I want you to get me ten sales a month." That's goal, goal number one. The business needs 10 sales a month. Okay, that's fine. So we then work back your process, but you've only got one set of molds and your manufacturer takes seven days in order to make a set of molds. Therefore, the most you can actually produce is four sets a month because that's all your infrastructure can support. Now, I know that's quite a simplistic example, but that, that is the, you know, we, we're, we're the sort of company that doesn't come and work with you just to give you what you say you want, but actually to deliver what you can deliver. So in, in that respect, we then had to work with them a little bit more about, okay, so other things we can streamline. Um, the, the company that does the manufacturing, they did have an element of storage. So, okay, what are your most popular modules? Or there was like a core module that went with all of them. So they then started producing those um, uh, on a sort of production run so that they had they it, they could reduce the lead time of each module, for example. So we, we, we actually had to forecast how their company worked in order to then set the goals that we could set in terms of their sales. I think that's a really... Good point. I think two two um, two occasions stand out for me. When the first one was, I had a chap come to me for a website back when my business did websites, mm. and he was working for a very successful company that sold bathroom fixtures and fittings, and he was the van driver, and he wanted to set up his own business in competition with his employer, selling bathroom fittings and fixtures on the internet. And I asked him, "How are you going to market this?" Well, I have no idea, but if it works for him, it'll work for me not realizing the investment his employer was putting into marketing that stuff. Completely preposterous idea. And I think the temptation when cash flow is poor is to just keep quiet and take the money, which clearly you don't do. I mean, it's, I can't remember what the other thing I was going to mention is, but clearly it's not important enough to remember. But yes, that's what I was going to say, that really what you're highlighting there is business in the 21st century is connected. And that as 
digital marketing consultants, web people, consultants of whatever, however you dress it up, you can't simply operate in isolation of the rest of the world. You have to take into account the commercial context the customer lives in. You have to understand their production to an extent in order to properly deliver for them and properly consult. I haven't had many people express it as eloquently as you. I'm certainly fumbling here. Um, but you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have a mantra in our, in our agency that the customer is king. Whether they're right or not is a different question, but the, cu- the customer <laughs> is king. And what we try and instill on the work that we're doing for our customers is that they are treating their customers as king. So you're, all we're simply doing is kind of passing down the mentality of the way we treat our own customers to how our clients treat theirs. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's really where it, where it comes from. You know, there's, we, we really struggled when we, when we set up and we were thinking of putting our own website together. Now our, our website isn't the best website in the world. It, we, we're sort of, we're one of those agencies that's victims of our own success. We're so busy that it's our own stuff that gets, that gets pushed to the bottom of the heap. Um, but what we struggled with when we were doing that was sort of conveying, we wanted it to convey more about who we are rather than, I don't want to say rather than what we do. Of course, of course, people need to understand what you do, but the, the, the whole being a customer of so, so digital communications, we want that to be a positive experience. And, um, we've, we do have the, the benefit that we've worked with some really big brands, some really, I say big brands, there's some good brands for an agency of our age. Let me put it that way. We, we, we have a good platform. We, we believe we have something different to offer. And what we were, what we were struggling with was we didn't just want to put ourselves across as another digital agency. We are, our, our USP is we're the, the people that we have and the, the, the way that we communicate. And, and that's what we were trying to forecast on our, on our own website. And that's what we try to forecast through the, uh, the clients that we work with. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. I think customers come to us often because there are things they know they want, but that's so much that they don't know. And they really depend on people like you to fill in those blanks. But so often those blanks are left unfilled by traditional agencies. So I think that's that's really what I take away there. So in terms of deliverables, you're doing all the traditional things, the sort of branding, do you do print design and things like that? Uh, we, we can do. We, we don't market yeah. it, but if, you know, if, if anybody comes to us and they do need letterheads yeah. or whatever sort of um, doing, then we can do. The, the, we, we also work with a number of universities um, and they've come to us with like course brochures and those kind of things. So yes, we, we do do those things as well. Yeah. But your emphasis would, would always be on the, the lead with the digital. Yeah. Well, uh, what, basically the, the model, the business model that we set up was that we, we wanted um, a large portion of our revenue to be through uh, re- 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 retained income, recurring income. Yeah. Um, now that's that's something that I kind of brought to the table based on my past experience at, at the uh, previous agencies that I've worked at. And you know, I'm uh, I sort of mentioned Steve's a little older than me. You know, he, he's in a fortunate position that he doesn't have a, a mortgage to pay. I do. I've got a family, uh, two children, and you know I don't want to be I don't want to be scratching around, worried about cash flow. I, I, I want to have that forecast that I know right. Th- this is what this is the minimum that the company is going to earn. If if we stop selling everything right now, we're still going to keep on turning over at this level. Yeah, and 
this mentality, I suppose, came before we had a nice long runtime of funds in the bank. But it's it, it was the way the company started was to um, focus on selling retained services and the 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 digital strategy and digital tactical delivery side of things just leans itself um, to that kind of. Uh, that kind of company setup, that kind of business structure, uh, easier than sort of you know. Well, we'll design you a brochure. Okay, great. You've had a delivery yeah. of five hundred of them. Now what? So, what proportion of your revenue does the retained revenue represent now? Um, so, in twenty eighteen, we had a big push. We wanted to go into twenty nineteen with a hundred thousand pounds worth of retained revenue uh, contracted, and. Mm-hmm we fell ever so slightly short of that target. Um, that, based on the 2018 figures, um, the retained revenue was 47%, I think it was. To high 40s anyway, nearly half. Yeah, that's pretty good when you're still doing project work. To sort of benchmark that against the average, you're doing really well. Yeah, well, the, our target, our, our ultimate target is to run a, a 60-40 split. Um, we've we've not taken the step that you've taken in saying that right. Well, we're going to get rid of project work, um, but we we do want to get to a sixty forty split. So sixty percent retain, forty percent um, project. And um, what we do try and do with with our projects is we for, for the way we do business, we've found that selling projects is to the right clients is a good way of kind of pre validating a retainer. Yeah. Um, so we we are trying to sell projects to clients that will move on to retainers, um, but it's for, for us particularly particularly where we are in business at the moment. We can't. Um, uh, yeah, we can't. Sorry, there's an ambulance going past. Um, we can't give up. You know, it'd be like chopping off our right arm if we did it. If we got rid of that stream no, at I, the moment, I completely understand that. But you're doing extremely well. I mean. Podcast listeners won't really know very much about my business, um, but yeah, we at the moment are exclusively retainer based. But I do reflect on that from time to time and think, okay, well, that was the goal. We've achieved it, but possibly it's time to start reintroducing the project work just to keep, because it's there. It's there and it's, it's there for the taking, but now we can choose the bits we want to do. And you're kind of where I would ultimately like to be, where I have a similar split. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'd like to look at next is Obviously, I know you as Pete Everett off the internet, uh, not as Pete Everett, the sort of agency director. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the podcast, because one thing I don't see very much is agency owners stepping out from behind their brand and really investing in their own personal brand. And you've done a tremendous job with that. Do you maybe want to just sort of tell, share a little bit your experience of building that from zero and the hurdles you may have had along the way, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So... The whole personal brand side of things came um, at at the moment because because of the personal scenarios that Steve and I are in. um, We have, um, you know, we're working together very well. We're building an agency that's very profitable. It's growing year on year um, and all of that kind of stuff. And we're we're dead happy with it. However, um, we are people that are in different stages of our life and... um, we, uh, we it's it's one of those things. Well, one of the things when we set up a, a a business, and this was one of the things that one of the key pieces of advice I'd give somebody that's thinking of going into partnership with somebody, is that when you're actually getting to brass tacks about right, so what does this company 
mean? Who Who's responsible for what? Um, how does it work? One of the things that you need to think about is how are we going to get out of this? Um, because if you wait until somebody's hacked off to get out of it, things are going to turn nasty. Yeah. So we came to an agreement about an exit strategy, um, which... Well, we've got a number of versions of an exit strategy. That's that's maybe a more accurate way of, of putting it. Um, but there could potentially be a lifespan on the agency life that we have at the moment. Um, and that's simply because Steve's going to hit an age where he's going to want to retire long before I am. And we don't know what's going to happen with the agency. One scenario is he simply becomes a silent partner and I take over kind of full operational reins and, and we keep on going and nothing changes. However, another scenario is that we sell the whole thing um, or try and sell the whole thing and, um, you know, shake hands. We've had a, a good 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it might be. Um, and and off we go into the sunset in our own own directions. So because, because my professional sort of life, I suppose, is tied or was tied to this image of an agency that in the back of my head I knew could have a shelf life, I then wanted to have something else that is mine that nobody's going to take away that um i can i can use to explore other ideas i, I mean I'm, at the end of the day I, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur I, I don't know really what the definition of an entrepreneur is but um I, that's that's kind of where i put myself and i've got these other ideas of things that don't necessarily fit into the agency model but i i, I still want to do them i still want to explore them so uh, com was set up and it started to become the platform by which um, I start to get myself known. And part of who I am, of course, part of who I am is I'm an agency director, but there's also this other stuff, as I say. And some of that is starting to come to fruition. Now, there's no kind of big push on my personal brand trying to become a second income for me or anything like that. There are going to be some monetization strategies in that. I do earn a little bit of affiliate income and those kind of things. And I've got some courses and, and stuff that I, I, I'm trying to work on at the moment. And there will be money involved in those, but that's more to cover costs um, at the moment rather than actually build me a, a, another income. Um, but that's where that's where the, the personal brand came from. And I started it... Um, a year past Christmas, so Christmas 2016, uh, I decided that I this was what I was going to do. And I, over the Christmas break, I set myself up with a website. And then I, <laughs> then I thought, right, this website needs some content. So I'm going to write the 12 blogs of Christmas. And uh, it, it was just, uh, just something to hook onto to push some content out onto the internet. And I got to about day four and then realized that I hate writing blogs <laughs> and I only ever got as far as day eight, which, and day eight went live on the 12th day. So I sort of didn't even do 12 in 12 days. I only did eight in 12 days. And if you go to peteverett.com, those blogs are still there. And day eight was the last one that was published. Um, and I sort of scratched my head a little bit and thought, yeah, this, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Um, so I need to think of something else. And that's where the podcast came from, because actually I far prefer talking to people than I do writing to, you know, that, that cursor that's just blinking on a white page with no words either side of it, that scares the 
whatever out of me. Yeah. <laughs> so right there with you. That, that, that was probably quite a long answer to what should have been quite a simple question. I think I'm going to build on it in a minute. Um, but I think what I was going to say is, yes, a, a blog post is great. They're great for search um, engine optimization. Uh, they're, they're great for generating traffic. But they, the blog, the, the podcast, the, the magic of a podcast for me is really the relationships. Yeah. That's completely unexpected. I was not expecting that particular benefit. The, the podcast can become a blog post very, very easily. But there's so many other benefits and the time that it takes. If you're going to write a good blog post, a good podcast episode will take you the same time, but with 10 times the value for you as the author. Yeah, absolutely. There's just so much that you can't put down on a piece of well, I'm going to say a piece of paper, but on a screen in, in sort of the written word that you can experience through hearing somebody's hearing somebody's voice and their interactions. It's it's almost like you start to experience some of their um, like micro language, micro signs through yeah. audio. Um, and yeah, yeah I'm, I've had exactly the same experience. You know, it's it's it, it certainly propelled me into places that I never would have got to had I simply been writing online. Yeah. So what does your podcast journey look like? How did you get that going? Have you had any sort of particular challenges along the way? Um, the main challenge has been consistency, to be perfectly frank. Uh, I've had, so the podcast launched on the um, 17th of March, 2018. And so the 17th of March, 2019 is going to be its first birthday. And we will have only pushed... 42 episodes live for a weekly podcast. And the reason, the simple reason for that was I, I didn't give myself a enough episodes in the bank before I started. Um, so I, I didn't have a sort of lead time. I was working hand to mouth with podcasts, trying to arrange one and edit it every week. It, you, you're just on a treadmill that, that never ends. Um, yeah. And then the second thing was there was a couple of things happened Um over the course of the year, which meant that I ran out of episodes. So last May, our office was broken into. And whilst nothing, there was no computers or anything taken, the, the, the most valuable thing they took was a screen. Um, just the hassle of having to sort it out. We had to decamp to work from home for, for a couple of weeks just while the building got sorted out, that kind of thing. I just ran out of what, what was in the can and I didn't really have the, the capacity in order to, um, to record anymore. And then likewise, we, we did actually take a sort of planned break over the summer. Um, we did a, I was doing some charity stuff over the summer. So we, um, we paused the podcast for a couple of weeks there. So we're, we're a few episodes behind what a weekly podcast should be at, at the end of its first year. Um, but it's all been down to just having that consistency. So learning how to batch content has been a serious learning curve and has been a, um, uh, but it, it has been a key to actually making sure that the consistency has been there. Um, I can relate to a lot of that. Well, something popped into my head today. I, I realized probably about six months ago, one of the biggest challenges with blogs is people give themselves a rod for their backs when they date their blog posts. There's no technical reason to put a date on a blog post. So I just tried, okay, what happens if I just disable displaying the dates on a blog post? I read, actually instantly everything looks fresh yeah and everybody puts episode numbers on podcast episodes why do they do that i've just realized today why do we put episode numbers on blog posts it immediately when you're at episode 10 
people will think you haven't been going for very long. If you took those numbers off, people would think you must have an infinite backlog. So I'm, I'm really questioning episode numbers. There must be a technical reason people do it. That's a very good, that's a very good, I'd never thought of that. My, my, my podcasts are numbered. Um, Mine are too. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And actually, I mean, I suppose I'd still run the numbers in everything. My sort of admin system for the podcast is uh, based on the episode number. So it, it goes in a, it goes in a, a folder that is just the number. And then every, all the marketing tactics that I pull off that. So I don't know, little, um, a headline of video clips or or uh, infographics or whatever it might be that come off that all then follow that number system just so I know what what they belong to so it would be it, it's just always been the way I've sort of done done something but no you, you're dead right to question it anyway that was a massive digression what I wanted to ask next was as an agency your own marketing mm-hmm. what I find speaking to lots of different small agencies in particular is there's a huge mix in how the opportunity comes to you. Um, for some, it's entirely referral. And for, for others, it's all online. Um, what does your sort of marketing and uh, customer journey look like? Um, our, our marketing's a little bit hit and miss. Um, it, a, a lot of it does come through referrals. Uh, and, and I think that's, I, I think, so, so there's two, basically two things that drive referrals. Um, one is, uh, customers having a good experience. So if you're, even if you're selling a one-off product, um, uh, if you treat that customer like they are king, just like I was mentioning earlier, and they, they will never think of anybody else when they think of whatever it is that you do. Um, and that, you know, delighting customers and, as I say, not not exactly giving them what they want, but but treating them as um, treating them as as though you are wanting the best for them, because that, that's ultimately what you want to do. Um, that that has led to a lot of referrals coming our way. Um, the the second thing is to uh, Chris Ducker calls it becoming somebody's favourite. So yeah. we don't we, we do send out some we do do some email marketing for our agency, and again that's kind of more the to put the personalization side of things so it isn't really hey look at look at this blog that we've written about the 27 marketing techniques for 2019 because you know what you can just go and find those online anyway but this is more sort of stuff about so um i mentioned i did some charity stuff last year so uh, you know uh, our director pete was cycling from paris to geneva for a children's hospital last year um there's too many hills in there (laughs) there were quite a few um (laughs) Uh, my, although my, my wife actually this year for the same charity, she, uh, she works with us. She's uh, climbing Kilimanjaro. So, uh, there's only one hill in that, but it's, it's quite a big one. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> so, um, so we, we do try and, um, we do try and sort of personalize. It's more a method for personalization, but actually where that fits in our marketing is that it's about giving people the experience of who we are. We, we want people, we want to work with people who want to work with us. And we acknowledge that there's an element of people that maybe don't fit our model. So actually, you know what? If we can sort of qualify those a little bit through, through our email marketing, through the, some of the referrals or the, the testimonials that we're getting from clients, that kind of thing. Um, we, uh, we, we find that that sort of, um, improves the quality of the leads that we get. No, that all makes perfect sense. 
I think I've probably taken enough of your time. I think what I'd maybe like to look at is if people do want to connect with you, um, if they want to sort of take things further with you, how would you like them to do that? So there's there's two ways that that, that people can get in touch with me. Um, if you go to peteverett.com, there is links to all of my social profiles. You can find the podcast there. There's links to the Facebook group. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Um, or you can go to so-theagency.com, which is our, our agency website, and we um, uh, you, you can get in touch with us that way as well. Um, we've got we, we do have you know social media profiles for both sides of things, but ultimately you know if you just send me a message and say hi, I heard you on Bob's podcast. Um, I'll you know you can get in touch with me that way. All right, open for partnerships. That works. Pete, you've obviously you're very comfortable with podcasts, and you've been such an easy guest. So thanks very much for that. Hopefully I can have you on again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to be. And you know what? It's, it's, I've done so many podcast recordings this year where I've been sat your side of the table. It's been really refreshing <laughs> to be, to do it the other way around. So no, thanks for having me on Bob. I really appreciate it. No, I've had great fun. And thank you. Cheers. Pete is doing two really important things right. First, he's charging what he's worth and putting a strong emphasis on retainers. This gives him a really strong commercial foundation. The second is that he's planning ahead and building his personal brand for the future. A small, regular investment in being known, which is paying off with him right now with invitations to speak and becoming visible on other people's platforms. If you run a digital agency or you're just thinking of stepping out on your own for the first time, I have something for you. I'd like you to download my short agency playbook, The Six Keys to Unlock Success in Your Digital Agency. It's yours for free. Just visit my website at bobgentle.com and grab your copy. As always, please do take a second to review the show on iTunes. It's the very best way to spread word about the show, and if you do, I will say thanks right here on the podcast. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Pete for making the time. Don't forget to check out So The Agency Online. You'll find a link in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. And see you next time.